welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Crappy Christian. I am your host and resident crappy Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Hey, Sean, welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian. <laughs> it's a perfect title. I love that on my right? show. I love introducing, like, welcoming people to the show like that because they always, their response is, oh my God, it's just, it's a little jarring, I think in a good way. People are like, oh, yeah, I love that. So well, well, we can all relate in, in aspects of our life, you know, right. to yep. that message. <laughs> That's the hope. That's the hope, right? Yeah. So I want to introduce you to everybody. You have a book, Wired to Hear. You have, uh, do you have more than one podcast? It's, it's a series. So we have like series. one on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, yeah. Gotcha. Uh, and that is Exploring the Marketplace. And you just kind of do all the things. So tell us about yourself. <laughs> well, I, uh, I grew up in the church and my parents were first generation Christians. So they were super excited about church. And my dad was a Colonel Air Force. My mom was a stay at home mom and they just couldn't go to enough meetings and they would bring us around everything. My brother had passed away and they had had a pretty supernatural kind of, uh, kind of salvation conversion. So they were looking for recreating, you know, going to those places that you know, the tent meetings and those things that happen in the Pentecostal and charismatic world. And I loved a lot of it. I loved so much of it, but there was also part of me that was like, does this work outside the church? Like in the real world, like does this? And so I really pursued like, especially hearing God's voice. It's one of the subjects I'm known for. Can this work like in a slum or red light district mm -hmm. or in the entertainment industry or like in a, in a chairman's office of a fortune 500 company. And I had just big questions in my heart. Cause for me, my parents, escape the world kind of, you know, like it was like this big, bad world. And I was like, I want to go back into that world and see if mm -hmm. this works. And yeah. that terrified them. They were so, so scared for us, especially when we told them we we're moving my sister and I to LA to plant a ministry and it'd be in the entertainment industry. And so they were just, my mom was like devastated level 10 for a minute. She had that Christian mama thing on her. Yeah. Of religion yeah. of like, it's going to destroy you. You're going to, and what came out of her mouth, you'll love this. She goes, you're going to lose your virginity. Oh, that was what she was worried about. And I was like laughing okay. with mom, that's going to happen someday, somewhere anyway. So like, you don't yeah. have to worry about me. I'm fine. And I just, Should I remember we not be worried about like losing your, your soul? mind, your soul. <laughs> right? and it was just that Christian, that, that what was, what was idolized in Christianity in the eighties and early nineties yeah. was so different. And it's similar now, but the, you know, those mamas that were like the intercessors who would read each other's little, or like have their prayer chains and they'd tell each other what, what was evil and what would, cause demons to come into your house. So like I came from that going, I'm not trying to escape the world guys. I'm trying to go into the world. And it was so different that I began to do things. Like my first major company was I started a video game company. We were working with Universal on video games. And I was working out of Orlando Universal Studios and my parents were like, oh, okay, this is okay. Like you're not, because video games were so villainized then back in the 90s, yeah. like not yeah. everybody played them. Now my parents play video games. I'm like, yeah, oh you gosh. guys betrayed me. But you know, back then it was like, you're bad for playing video games. And I'm like, you know, now they play them too. And so I think for me, like being in the industry and watching people, 
you know, we had a number of people get saved at Universal. It wasn't we weren't trying to do marketplace evangelism, so to speak. Right. We just were being authentic, and we 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 were there to, you know, make our game. But we also were open in our hearts, and so we'd have these deep conversations with people who are in Disney and Universal and behind the scenes, and just these incredible dinners, like high end dinners at the Grand Floridian or wherever yeah. in Orlando. And just I was like, this is what this is what it's supposed to look like. And why doesn't it look like that? Why is there such an estrangement in us and them between the kinds of churches I'm involved in and everything else? And so I was really gripped by that. So that that formed me to the point of now today, so many years later, I know I look like I'm 25, but just kidding. You do, 100%. Uh, <laughs> no one's looking at me, so it's great. I can say that. Uh, but, you know, now that I'm 47, like I, you know, doing I've, most of that, the business stuff I've done is not faith-based media in the entertainment yeah. industry out here in L.A., up until now, I'm just starting to do some faith-based stuff. It's been consulting on scripts and helping, like when movies like Noah came out and helping them to relate to a faith-based crowd, but not yeah. but also going through the script and looking to see if it's accurate historically or whatever. So like doing all this random stuff, you know, but doing ministry alongside of it. And I really, you know, a lot of people get this theme and I'll, I'll stop here, but a lot of people get this theme, whether they're in more of a charismatic church where someone says, you're like a Joseph, you know, you're an Esther, you're a Daniel. Or whether you're in a traditional church and you just identify with, I want to be like Solomon and have wisdom. If God asked me what I'd want, I want to have a lot of wisdom. I like the book of Proverbs, you know, that kind of thing. And the reality is, is to, to be that. And I think that's what it's supposed to look like is we're supposed to be like a Daniel, maybe not king of the mountain, but influencing culture type thing. To be that, those people distinctly other than Esther heard from God powerfully. Yeah. And that was the, like the deciding factor. So I was like, there's something about what's coming that's going to be people who are powerfully placed maybe in servanthood positions, but they're going to be powerfully placed in society and they're going to hold the hearts of kings and governors and rulers, whatever, but they're going to know what God's saying. They're going to know what God wants to do in that, not just religiously know, but they're going to know, they're going to be able to take the temperature of the situation. And I've met so many of those people that it compelled us to begin to write a book into that genre of saying, you have to hear from God if you're going to have that influence. And this is kind of what God wants. So how do we, how do we bridge that gap for the normal person who goes, I don't hear God. How do we like get into their space and say, yeah, you do, you're wired for it, but you've been looking at and having expectation for this an Old right. Testament prophet, but it's right. actually wired for internally now. Yeah. And I want to get into like that we are hardwired for communication with God, but I want to talk a little bit <laughs> about just that you've, your, you've, your career has been quote unquote in the world. Right. Well, and I've had probably about an equal amount. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that that is something that Christians can struggle with. Sometimes we think that because we love Jesus, we're supposed to work at a church or totally. supposed to work in a ministry or a nonprofit or be, you know, missionaries. And I, I have conversations with people all the time who have traditional or non-traditional secular jobs that have like grappled with guilt for that. And that so funny, which is like, it's not, I don't want to say it's crazy, but it's, it's a little crazy. Like, I'm like, but how? do you expect God to infiltrate those places? Like, you know, it's the idea of a church isn't supposed to be a mausoleum or a museum. It's supposed to be a hospital that we're bringing yeah. people into. How do we bring those people in if we're not going out to them at all? No, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I, I think of back when I first started, I started a church here in LA and I didn't want to start a church in LA, but I felt like I had a real clear just sense of Jesus saying like, I'm homeless in my spirit. I feel it's mm. homeless in Hollywood. He's homeless in this place. So we started a church in Hollywood. It was the only practicing like charismatic kind of church with young people in it of all different races and backgrounds. 
who were pursuing the entertainment industry. Seventy percent of our church was in the entertainment industry, and now still to this day, the church is still going on. There's you know seven to eight hundred people involved, and there's still I would say a good thirty to fifty percent are in the entertainment industry, if not more. Yeah. And it was so wild, like because I mean I was working too, so like I mean I was I was traveling, I was working job, and I was doing pastoring. And sometimes I would stop working for a little bit to do pastoring. Sometimes I would stop pastoring a little bit to work, I think. Yeah. But um, people would come to me. I remember one, one of the famous scenarios that happened the first year is some, some of the team was doing extra work. One of the girls in the church was hired to do the extra scenes for this movie. And it was like a comedy, but they were doing it at the Playboy Mansion. It wasn't a Playboy pornographic scene. Yeah. They were just doing extra work. They weren't, cre- they weren't contributing to the creativity. They were just being extra. So they weren't even going to be seen. And so they, the, she called and said, wouldn't it be cool if we had a bunch of Christians go on the set and like be around this to just be a light, just to be nice. Yeah. Why don't you call your people and tell them I need 30 extras or whatever. And when I called people, I thought it was great. I thought that's exactly what we need to do. And no one wanted to do it except for two people because they were so afraid. They were like, I can't go to the Playboy Mansion. That's so yeah. evil. And I'm like laughing going, you know, one of the mothers of Hollywood here um, in, the, in Christianity is named Karen Cabell. And one of her first major jobs was interviewing Hugh Hefner for like a Dateline type show. And yeah. it was like such a God experience, long story. And so, I mean, I was so impacted by the fact that God wants to go everywhere. And as long as what we're doing is unethical or illegal, we should want to go there too. Yeah. And it was so interesting to pastor a church full of people who wanted opportunity to both be Christians in a place of light, but be a light, but also to be in a career. And they were afraid to go when it was time. I was like, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah, you're complaining about not having money, but you won't do this background work because you don't want to go somewhere. And the people who went that there was about five of them total that went to from our church, they had an incredible time. Like they had like so much, so so many God moments. I mean, so many yeah. just moments with people, and and they don't regret it at all. But the people who didn't go do regret it because they're like, oh, maybe we are supposed to show up. Mm. Well, and it's reminiscent of your mom, right? Totally. That- the fear oh. that if you your location or even situation has the power to sway you or make you sin or whatever and it's not to say that we're not supposed to be intentional and wise and discerning yeah. and that there yeah. aren't things that you shouldn't you know it's like you don't bring an alcoholic to a bar you know that oh. kind of conversation there are situations that i don't need to put myself in because i know the way that i struggle but if that isn't the case, do I believe that this situation, circumstance, or location has more power to sway me than Jesus does to lead me, yeah. to keep, to lead me and keep yeah. me grounded? And that's, I think for the marketplace, there's a subtle, that's an extreme example. There's a subtlety on right. it where we, the whole Western church world highlights ministers and I've, I'm, I'm a known yeah. minister. Like I have Christian TV shows, I have all these things. And so I'm, I'm a, a D-list Christian celebrity, you know? <laughs> yeah. Which means there's no perks, but I get recognized sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, people know me in Target. It's people, cool. Yeah, people know me in Target and want prayer. They want, that's the only perk is that people want prayer, which isn't a perk when you're with your kids. Which is cool. You know? Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, you're like, I don't want to pray for you right now, but that's awesome. But you're awesome. <laughs> so, but, um, but, you know, like, like people want that. They want, they want to feel like they're doing something significant in their church world because the church world really does honor the significance of what yeah. they're building internally. And that's yeah. okay. So we're supposed to be a community center. We're supposed to love, but I remember going to, into LA, um, Mayor Garcetti had just got elected and he did a faith-based, um, he invited a few faith leaders. I was one of them and they were from different religions. So it was like some Catholic Protestants, Muslims. And I think there was Scientologists or something. And they were to sit in on the city meeting where the city was 
showing us the map is this humongous painting that they did or projection it was it looked like a painting it was really beautiful artistic and they were showing the quadrants of the city and how they're all working together and how they're tackling these huge problems like homelessness and their plans and and here's some problem areas and here's three things we can all answer together but it was all like a circle and everything fit and then there were some things on the outside that didn't fit but they had lines to them and the and the christian church was one of those things the muslim church mm -hmm. was inside but the christian church and I, so when I had a question answer, I raised up my hand. I was, I was not trying to be a challenger. I was like, how come the Christian church is out there? And they said, well, the Christian church does a lot for our city, but not directly. They never answer direct questions, never do direct response. They don't help us. They just do a lot of things that are helpful. And so therefore we put them on the board because there's some parallels, like with the yeah. homeless stuff, we have this, they won't work directly with us, but they'll do something on their own, which is a blessing and benefit most of the time. And so we put them up there. I said, so how can Christians be of use to you in ways that you need them? And the fire chief raises his hand, the whole state of California, and he raises his hand and goes, we were desperate to get relief done in our city training. We need training. And there's all these churches. We have 4,000 churches and about 1,000 have locations. If we could just have 10% of those open up and to do a training for their community, we only have 4 to 6% of people trained for if there's terrorism, earthquake, whatever, for yeah. how to do relief, how to do. And we need churches to stand up, but they won't do it. Yeah. I said, gotcha. I'll help you. So I contact all these pastors. This is my first time contacting most of them. Hey, the city wants our help and they want us to do something. We need to show up for our city. We need to be there for our city and stop complaining. So let's do this. And so they did it. Now we're doing foster care and foster uh, care. We found out there's like 20,000, 27,000 yeah. kids in foster care in LA. And so there's five or six organizations that jump, jump together. There's a thousand churches that showed up and are doing foster care to reduce that to 50%. So like Dang. it's happening for real. So but like the thing is like like here we're just a great church and we were doing stuff for the homeless we were even yeah. doing anti-human trafficking training with the fbi for local organizations yeah but there's so many needs that we weren't even on the church's map or the city's map because we're so self-absorbed that, that made me go we need to change everything because the next time that god does like a jesus people movement or a worldwide move where all of a sudden it's just easy for people to get saved or whatever it's not going to happen because churches have better worship music. And it's not no. going to happen because we have better outreach programs. It's going to happen because we're in places in society where we're simplifying really complicated problems and lending the strength of who Jesus is in the real world situations. And so I really became, it's not, and it's not just glorified social justice. It's literally being an answer and assault right. from the earth. And that's, to me, it's like the basics I can teach to Sunday school youth group because yeah. it's basic, but that's what we want to go after. Well, and that's what not just LA needs, right? I have this conversation with friends all the time that if Christians would step into foster care, human trafficking, homelessness, all of these epidemics, I think some of them would go away. No, and all of them the would book, be minimized. In the book, when you read it, you'll see there's this one part where I, a group did a study, a professional group did a study on if just the church in America tied in the year 2012, what would have happened with 10% of people who claim to be Christians tithe? Mm. Just 10% of the money would have cured world hunger for seven years, <laughs> would have cured a disease like a malaria, would have um, helped uh, children at risk all over the world, and uh, would have ended, I think, three or four diseases besides malaria. And then there would still be enough to fulfill the biblical Great Commission to reach every single country in the world. And two to three, uh, two to, two to three million dollars per region of the church to uh to do local projects 
So yeah. I mean, like just one year, I, mean, I was like, ah. so, so the cool thing though, I'm not discouraged because I'm not like a hater. No. Yeah. I'm not yeah. discouraged at all. But what, what it made me do when we were writing the book was that, that I realized like one of the statistics was that if you look up the wealthiest people group on the earth, it's actually not a country or city or a, or a whatever. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a religion, which is Christianity. Mm. We have 55% of the world's wealth. Wow. So, wow. you know, there's these Pentecostals back in the 1920s that started a prophecy that has kind of kept ringing true in the churches. Everyone from Oral Roberts to people like Joyce Myers would know this prophecy. Like people would know this. It's that there's going to be a transfer of wealth from the hands of the yeah. wicked into the church, the righteous. And this has been like a religious term people have used because of Proverbs, I think it's 8, 6, where it says the wealth of the wicked are stored for the, the righteous or whatever. Yeah. And so what I thought about was like, okay, that scripture, if it's prophetic, the reality is it's happened. But what are we not doing with revelation it? Or connection to God to do something with it. So to me, it's actually exciting because I'm like, even if we're a bunch of little kindergartners, at least we have the resources to do something yeah. with it if we just grow up. So right. to me, it's an issue of maturity. It's not an issue of like, I mean, can you imagine if it was the opposite where we had 1% of the world's wealth as Christians and we were just had all these problems. Instead, John 10, 10 works. We literally are prospering around yeah. the world, even in poor nations. But, and I'm not saying every Christian everywhere, but we have 55% of the world's wealth. And so it's working. What are we doing with it? Yeah. Well, I think that that's a pretty seamless connection to are, do we not know what to do with it? Because we have not learned how to hear from God. Like, do, are we not functioning in our natural hardwiring to not just hear God? Like, cause that's what's got to happen first, but then yeah. to like walk in it walk because, it you know, you can hear God all day and that's great. And that's important. But does like the fear that we're talking about, does that hold you back? Does the fear of what people are going to think hold you back, et cetera, et cetera. So you, you wrote this book, Wired to Hear, kind of busting through my take on it, <laughs> is busting <laughs> through this myth that hearing from God is reserved for traditional ministry roles and like equipping people yeah. to hear, God. not like to understand how they are actually wired to hear God and then to do that. Well, I wouldn't be in the ministry side of what I'm doing right now if I believed you had to be special to hear God. Because right. I'm not special. I don't have a birthmark that shows me, you know, like I have the power. <laughs> I'm not like one of those guys who's like, my mother was dying of six diseases and then an angel showed up and marked me as a prophet from birth. Or, right. you know, those people who are like, they have those stories that you listen right. to and you're like, I'm nothing. Right. No wonder I don't have, you know, whatever. So I wrote this book and I'm in ministry because I believe that I can take the excuses away from people on why they say they don't hear God. Like a lot of people say, my wife's that one, or my yeah. sister, or my friend is the one who's like, they, they pray. And when they pray, God moves. It's like, no, let's take those excuses away. And I think not only are we wired for com communication with God, but I think back when Martin Luther, if you know the story of Protestantism, when he like nails the thesis to the Wittenberg door and says, we are justified by our own faith. We don't need a priesthood to read the Bible, pray for us. Yeah. And then he released a printed Bible for everyone to read in common language. Yeah. And when he did that, it was so controversial. But I think of it and think, you know, how much have we changed because we have our own relationship? When we get to heaven, Jesus is not going to say, who did you listen to? He's going to say, did you walk with me? Yeah. Did you follow me? And I think there's three elements in how we do that. One is we read the Bible for ourselves and we read the Bible and we hear other people's teaching. We pray and we hear God. John 10, my sheep hear my voice. John 14, 15 and 16, the Holy Spirit will come and speak to you. 
the first thing that happens when Pentecost happens is that the Holy Spirit comes and they begin prophesying in other languages. Right. I mean, it's all from the beginning. And then Paul sang the most anointed church, the whole song of the day. He says in the Corinthians 14, verse one, go after love like your life depends on it and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy because it proves yeah. love. Yeah. And so to me, it's like no brainer. We all hear from God, but we're looking for a disruptive loud voice or an Old Testament prophetic experience versus yeah. realizing the God of all the universe that doesn't fit into the time and space lives inside of me. Yeah. And therefore, a lot of how I hear is First Corinthians 2, the Holy Spirit searches the deepest, most innermost thoughts of the Father and relates them to me. And a lot of it's nonverbal. It's more like getting impressions, download, yeah. instinct, intuition, which we cover a lot in the book because we want to help people to go, oh, I don't need to hear like, this is the way, thus saith the Lord, but I need to hear like a beam of light, right? right? Totally. And the number one way people that I prove, you know, to when I'm coaching and stuff about hearing God's voice, where they get the connection is I'll say, what was your last big, huge win? Tell me three or four of them in business and family and marriage and life. And they'll tell me, and they know it's God, but they're like, well, I just made a good decision. How did you make that good decision to get there? Well, I was asking God and then like, it always trails back to yeah. like, but he, they're the hero of the story until they tell the story differently. Cause if you can't see the pattern of how you got to your wins in life, you won't see how God talks to you because right. we're all so different. And so a lot of how we've trained people and even the book starts out with this is you do hear from God. Let's look at all your breakthroughs and successes and look for the pattern of how you got there because yeah. the pattern of how you got there is how you follow God. So let's, even before you were saved, God, his good nature is in you. Even if you have original sin, you're still participating until you're in hell of separated from God. You still have redemptive qualities inside of you. So look for how did you become a successful singer? I've talked to, I was with a Korean woman who was one of the most famous, or is the most famous singer in Korea, who is a guy said, I would get saved if God would just tell me he loved me. And I said, let me show you how God's already shown you he loves you. Yeah. And let's talk. And I took her through, like, show me, tell me the five times that you felt the most connected to life, you felt the most loved, you felt the most present. And she tells me, and I said, that's what God feels like. And God was in those moments. Mm -hmm. And you felt his love. And he told you by those moments that he loves you. And she's like, I said, how did you get to those moments? She's like, I just reached out to the universe. I needed something greater. I needed a, the universe has a name and his name is Jesus. And she Amen. got perfectly saved. Then we prayed together. And I said, ask God what he thinks of you right now. And she had a vision. She's never even thought of a vision before. She has a vision and she's weeping. She's like, he's so beautiful. I'm so beautiful. He's so beautiful. She never thought she was beautiful. She's the most celebrated woman in Korea. So it's really no secret that I struggle with mental health. I've talked really openly about being on and off antidepressants and my battle with anxiety and PTSD. But one of the most important moves I have made in my mental health journey has been getting into counseling. This is why I partner with Faithful Counseling. I know that getting into therapy can be overwhelming and intimidating, but Faithful Counseling offers online Christian counseling where you can get the help and guidance you need to walk through your struggles with Christ at the forefront. In a matter of minutes, you can get matched with a counselor and begin connecting with them via text, video, or phone calls. Faithful Counseling is drastically more affordable than traditional face-to-face -face therapy, and they price on a sliding scale. I've also partnered with them to offer you 10% off of your first month when you sign up by visiting getfaithful.com slash crappy Christian. You can get the help you need today with Faithful Counseling and do it all from the comfort of your couch.
Okay, if you love this podcast, if you love Confessions of a Crappy Christian, did you know that there's a whole crappy Christian community that exists outside of this podcast? Yep, and it's awesome. The Collective is a private membership group for people who want to grow in their understanding of scripture and want to have real-life conversations about the stuff that is happening in our day-to-day. Every month in The Collective, we cover a different topic that impacts all of us through a biblical lens. So for example, right now we are covering biblical sexuality and it's not too late to join us and you can also get access to next month's conversation about grace versus law and the freedom christ died to grant us so for 27 dollars a month you get four additional podcast episodes along with access to the freaking incredible facebook community where people are doing life together learning together praying for one another and cheering one another on the collective is honestly my favorite part of my job no offense to the million other parts and we would love to have you join us sign up is super easy easy. You just need to visit crappychristianco.com slash community for more information and to join us today. We'd love to have you. Okay, let's get back to the show. Yeah. So like that kind of stuff to me is like, let's take all the excuses out and the weirdness out of it. Yeah. And like bring it back down to how we are wired and everybody gets it. Well, and I think part of the issue comes back to a word that you've said a lot, which is prophecy. Because we don't understand what that actually means. We think, so I have a mentor who I've actually experienced the traditional, like what we think prophecy is. She, I think that that is a gift that God has given. It is a gift that God has given her and I've experienced it. But when you dig into, in Corinthians, when Paul talks about prophecy, he almost always breaks it down to be like edifying, compassion, like the gut like sharing the gospel that that is prophesying that it's not quote-unquote predicting the future which is what i think people think it is totally people think it's like god directing the church or you for your position in the church or like Like you having a vision and standing on a corner and being like this is what god said right versus like sophia the word for word of wisdom which is used many times when even when Paul says, I pray to over the Ephesians in 117, I pray that God would give you his spirit of Sophia. And Sophia means knowing what to do with your relationship with God in everyday situations. So we're all supposed to have words of wisdom for what do I do in with my finances? What do I do in my in my leadership in my business? What do I do in my entrepreneurship? Whatever, whatever it is, like we know how to regulate wisdom, God's wisdom in our life. Yeah. And we see that with Solomon, like he asked for wisdom and what he was already wise. He already came yeah. from an incredible dynasty. And so he was asking for a wisdom, like, God, if you were thinking right now, I'm going to think the way you would think. So I want your mind to come into my mind. And the word for it was Shema. And that word is only in Hebrew. And it means to think with the perceptions of God. Mm-hmm. But Paul tells us in first Corinthians two, the last verse, we have the mind and the perceptions of Christ now. Right. That's the prophetic. Now prophecy can be declaring something for the future or it can be declaring God's thoughts about what something that's happening now. Right. But revelation of just being connected, it's like that internal dialogue with God. I can't imagine not having that dialogue with my wife. That's just that ongoing dialogue, which exactly. 70% of it isn't verbal. It's just happens, you know, it just happens right. in our daily life. I can't imagine not having that with God now because God is the most communicative being in the universe and can't wait for us to get how he's talking so that we can, it's like we're mute with him right now. Yeah. Because we're being verbal in the wrong ways. Father God, I pray, Father God, that you and we do second mm. devotional prayer times instead of actually connection prayer times. So then we're like frustrated because we have a directional decision to make. 
and we're looking for the magic eight ball God to just show us <laughs> to go versus inherently in our core, he's building us and showing us before time began, I made you for experiences to show off who I am, but also to experience me in your lifetime in a way that's rare and unique. Yeah. And so walk with me so that you can experience those moments. And we're looking for what, where do I go? And he's going, it's much bigger than just the directional. I want to show you who I am and where I am in your life all the time. Yeah. And he, that he's, that he is faithful and consistent to always since the beginning of time to the ending of time, do that and show up that Absolutely. way. If we choose, like we're the ones that have to choose to live and walk in that we, my husband and I, when we're recording this are in a season of making a lot of decisions kind of for the future of our family. And been for like the last few weeks and when it all when the the decisions kind of start, you know when like you get into that season where you feel like all the decisions have like jam-packed into a few weeks I we were praying about it and I was like I feel like we're supposed to start walking and trust that God is going to open the doors that we're supposed to walk through and close the ones yeah. that we're not and we've done that for the last month and it's honestly been one of the coolest experiences of I my life that not stressing over every like where are we gonna live when do we do this where do we go what's your job look like like we've just we have most of the time i mean we definitely have our moments but for the most part we've had this piece of okay god like it's it's literally been this experience of prayer 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 we come up to the door and we go okay open it or don't and thus far the door is opened and we've walked through it and it's, it's like you're saying, it's not waiting to hear this audible burning bush voice of God saying, this door is up here, walk through it. And I think that that's where a lot of Christians get stuck. And so they just don't ever walk. They, they don't yeah. even take, they, they won't take the steps to get to the door to see if it's open because they are waiting. They're like, I haven't heard from God yet. I'm with you. I mean, I think one of the things that we have to do is we have to reprogram our mindset because I love the burning bush experiences. And I think hundred percent one, it leads children of Israel out of, you know, the wilderness, the whole thing. But the reality is like, if you look at it, like my, my relationship to my daughter, I have two daughters and one is eight years old and she has a crush on a boy at school. I'm protecting that. I'm speaking into it. Yeah. When she's 16, I'll be speaking into it. When she's 24, if she's still looking at me and saying, who should I marry? Could you just pick him for me? I've done a bad job. Yeah. Not a terrible job, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I haven't helped give her enough identity to look for the kind of characteristics that she should be choosing. And so if I'm having to hold her hand, she's 35 or 37, still not getting married, looking to me to give her the direction, then I've really done like a disservice yeah. and not developed some identity. And in some ways the church right now, we know when someone has identity because they can actually make decisions without having to be codependent to having to get a prophecy or a message because they include God. And if he gives them a message, great. But if they don't get a message, then they make a choice. Yes. And a mature relationship with a father or a parent, once you're adult, is to include them and allow them to speak into it, but not necessarily to be directed by everything they're saying. Yeah. We give them more glory by showing that they help develop the character in our life and help develop decision making in our life. So when we're making killer decisions, people go, your kid's amazing. You must have been a good parent. But if we're right. so codependent with them, people look at us and go, man, are you ever going to cut those strings? That's kind of weird. Like your relationship... Yeah concerns me. And I feel like the world's looking at a lot of people in the church who go after themes like hearing God's voice and they're concerned. Like, I feel like it's cultish. Like it feels like you need someone leadership hierarchy in your life or else you don't have a healthy identity to make your own choices. 
And that's where a lot of people don't want the prophetic or hearing God's voice or the gift of prophecy, because they start to feel that culture side where it's like, am I allowed to make a choice without hearing an audible voice? Like, yeah, right. you actually bring more glory to God when you just kill it in life because of the good character and the virtue that you're partnering with and you're including him, but you don't need him to speak because his, your life is his message. Your life is his voice. And exactly. if we can kind of get that, then it's like, there's times of critical crisis and there's times of wonderful blessing where we want to hear God and that's good. It's never bad to want to hear God. But when we don't, when we know how to manage ourselves in the midst of that, that he's still in me, he's still leading me and he's given me the fruit of the spirit. He's given me the Bible. He's given me the ability to have a relationship and community to help be bumpers so that I don't get outside of this place of grace. Yeah. Then there's a place of trust. And I think, I, I think that speaks to directly what you're saying is like, I want to give him glory. I don't want to have to like every 10 minutes check in. Are we okay? Do I need right. to talk to somebody? But I mean, it's that weird prophetic, prophetic persona that creeps people out, you know? Yeah. Well, and I love the, the correlation between like being a parent and God being a parent and that it's funny because I think I'm very unpopular with the like legalistic, uh, crowd, <laughs> the, crappy Christian. the, the, the people who think that crappy Christian is heretical. Um, <laughs> but Cause I, I, so I've had this conversation online, you know, in stories or, or previously on the podcast about like, you should be able to take steps with, like you're saying, without every second, like almost compulsively, are we okay? Are we, is this good? Is this good? Yeah. Is this good? And they don't like that because everything is God breathed and everything should have God a part of it. And it's I'm like, well, if you had the capacity for nuance, we could have a conversation about that. My confidence and being able to take steps are all completely impacted by the father and all completely informed and powered forward by my relationship with him because I believe that I've been given a power, a, 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 a power of power, love, and self-control, not timidity, not fear. And sometimes I think that that's what Christians are functioning in yeah. instead of like the spirit the that we've been given. Yeah. The right. empowered relationship, sound mindedness. I think for me personally, like I have great parents. So every once in a while through the years, I've, I've called them for their advice because I know they know me. Right. And there's something about when your mom or your dad speaks in a core situation, when yeah. it's a healthy relationship that that's what parents, that's when they shine. It's like, whoa, yes. I'm so glad I have you. I'm so yes. glad I have you. And, but if I was still like calling them all the time and needing all the direction, I would wear them out, wear me out and put them in the wrong position. And I feel like and we can't wear God wiring, out, no, but, you can't. Right. but I feel like if we understand our wiring where it's not verbal all the time, you know, it's like, and if we understand listening prayer versus talking prayer, yeah. I'm going to listen to God. I'm also going to be mindful of where I'm at. And sometimes being mindful in my own heart, I learn and I, the self-talk that I have and everything else, I learned to balance that against what the Bible says, what psychology says, yeah. what God's saying, and man, everything changes. And I think Christians, we've, we've, we've not balanced ourselves out well. So we don't have the impact that is being prophesied from pastors on every pulpit, especially in America or in the UK or wherever. We don't have the impact that they're saying we'll have because to be a Joseph to affect Pharaoh, we're still afraid. You know, I, here's the story. You'll love this. Blake, you'll, you'll, you'll love, this is the story of what we're talking about. This guy comes up to me. He's from a prayer movement, right? So he's like one of those big groups where they do a lot of stadium events and stuff. 
and he's holy. He set himself apart. So he's like fasting. And I'm like in the middle of one of my projects and it was like in the video game industry. And I'm, I was, you know, at one of the video game studios where they make World of Warcraft and there's guys with guns and yeah. orcs and dragons and, everything, and I'm having a blast. And there's a, whatever, Diablo is one of the games they make. And he comes up to me and he goes, I have judged you. And he's like doing a prayer thing in front of everybody. Like all these major leaders. I have judged you because you smell more like Jezebel than you do like Jesus. You look more like Babylon than you do like Jesus. You look more like Pharaoh than you do like Jesus. And he goes, but you have more impact than all of us because your heart is more like Jesus. But you're external. You've allowed yourself to adapt to be relevant in places in society. He goes, and I've been setting myself apart for so long that I've been irrelevant to God and to the world around me. And he goes, and I've judged you for the smell and I've judged you for the look but I haven't judged you for the heart. And as you're saying this, people begin to repent all over the room. And I'm like going, and I'm just like going to a meeting. I didn't know this. I wasn't like, I'm like, what's happening. And it was really interesting because I felt like there's a course correction coming to people. And I love that he's so beautifully entered into it. He's a real estate agent now. And, but he thought the highest thing would be to be a prayer missionary, but he couldn't feed his family and he couldn't, yeah. he couldn't do anything. You know, now yeah. he's a real estate agent. He still does ministry, but he's a real estate agent. And is you know, again, killing it. And so I, but I feel like there's this thing, like when we think we're going to be set apart again, it's sackcloth and ashes and robes and whatever. Right. Versus set apart means I just know that I have to be in God's process for what I'm doing. Cause I can't make it on my own strength, my socioeconomic status, my education, my background. So he's going to lead me into some things that I'm gonna have to depend on him. I still need possibly the education and I still need to go after the mentoring and the coaching and everything else, but I'm not dependent on that for leading me into the greater successes that I'll have. And yeah. when, when people get that, they go, okay, wait a minute. Success in God equals being dependent on him in the midst of thriving. It doesn't mean yeah. I have to not thrive until he starts it. Thank you. That's a whole, like, I mean, that could probably be a whole nother podcast episode. This whole like <laughs> Christian bad, like poverty is a badge of honor conversation, you know, mm -hmm. and the, 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 ashes and the sackcloth but I mean I get pushed back online because I like to talk about things other than Jesus like there are some celebrities that I find just generally hilarious and entertaining and I enjoy the Enneagram and I like skincare you know like and <laughs> yeah. I've had people give me pushback because every single like thing that's coming down the pipeline isn't exclusively about Jesus I'm like but but Jesus informs like everything Thing that I do it and that's, why can't I in the book I think this will help people who need language for this is we talk about dualism yeah and dualism is the belief that something is not spiritual that doesn't have a spiritual look to it or a spiritual yeah. purpose directly driving it and so um early Christians um Puritans started this dualism which is everything that's not sacred is secular therefore right. it's not as valuable and that's exactly. in the that's in the American church specifically that's being explored around the world what we're seeing is that there's a breakdown of that where we're seeing that the earth itself is spiritual, mm -hmm. that God rested in it on the seventh day and he put roles. The first thing he did for Adam and Eve wasn't to give him a church. It was to give him a job. Yeah. So they had a role to play, not for him, but with him. And it was over animals and creatures and creativity and craftsmanship. And the first time anybody was filled with the spirit of God, it was Basilil, who was a craftsman, not the priest. Yeah. And it was so he could build things and build what God needed for worship and everything else but it wasn't a priest first. So like these themes in the Bible, they really help us today because it takes away that kind of division that's been us and them between what the old church would call the sacred and sacred. Like I hate when people say 
kings and priests, if you've been around that at all, which is I'm a priest because I'm a minister and you're a king because you're a business person. Because it puts people in subservient roles to each other versus- But why does everything have, have to be divisive? Like, but there's, it's the dualism causes teachings like that that create right. a false theology that creates separatism from each other and from God. Exactly. And so what I think what God is helping us with right now is he's bringing spiritual intelligence to the hungry around the world to say what I'm doing, what I'm focused on. Like I, I do video game consulting sometimes. I do entertainment consulting. I feel God in the same measure of his goodness and his presence when I'm doing that as I do when I'm in church. But I love church yes. too. Right. So I don't have a separate, like I don't have like a, I'm a compartmentalized person where I have to be exactly. different. But I also don't have dualism. So I know that I can hear from God through um, Marvel movies as much as I can hear from God if I'm watching a faith-based movie or whatever. Is sometimes more. Maybe. I was just about to say maybe um, more. <laughs> maybe more most of the time. But it's because I don't have dualism in me. But when you have dualism, you're afraid of anything that doesn't have a Christian label. Yes. And we've seen that in the entertainment industry. Like one of my friends, they published or uh, produced a, an incredible movie and they were um, trying to get it distribution. And so they went to the church because it had such faith-based you know, message in it and won all these awards for a short film. They're going to make the big film. And all the churches, now this is 15 years ago, so it's not telling them now. But all the churches were like, what scripture are you going to put on the front of the DVD? <laughs> like, no, that's not what we're doing. But that's where the church was 15 years ago. So we're, yeah. we're just now overcoming the need to think we have to make our Christian expression relevant to the world. Yes. That's yes. what wants us to do. So I will never forget. So I think I used to, well, I'm not, I'm not, I think I used to function in dualism in this secular versus yeah. spiritual conversation. And I was in counseling for like some, you know, just, you know, everybody needs counseling. And on my way to my counseling appointment, I dropped my kid off and I had, it was like a gorgeous day. I'm driving down the interstate, I have all the windows down and I'm blaring Trisha Yearwood. Okay. And I'm having like the best day. And I go to my counseling appointment and she's like, you seem like you're in such a good mood. Like, how's your morning been? And I was like, oh, like I dropped pace off and I like listened to, I like had the windows down. It's so pretty. I was listening to Trisha Yearwood and I go, I mean, I know it should have been Christian music. And she goes, oh, whoa, 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 back it up. And this is like a real thing. This is like three, maybe, no, this is like five years ago. But she was like, whoa, whoa, like, do you not think that God was with you in that car, regardless of who you were listening yeah. to? Do you not think that it delighted the father to hear you singing you know, whatever song it was like at the, at the top of your lungs. Do you not think that that delighted him? Do you like, and that was one of those like shift on a dime moments where now, and the, so she's a counselor with the church that we didn't go to then, but we go to now where the leadership teaches, like God created the world for us to enjoy. Like, why do you, why would he make Yosemite and why would he make like the gorgeous beaches of 30a if his kid like why would that would that just be for like people that don't believe in him to enjoy like why would he not create but like Marvel movies and Star Wars and Garth Brooks why would all of those things not be for his kids to enjoy and dualism keeps us from maybe doesn't always keep us from enjoying it, but keeps us from enjoying it without that like tinge of like, Yo, but it yeah. sh- I should be listening to Hillsong, but yeah. I should be listening to somebody read the Bible. Yeah. And that's, I think, 
until we get over some of that stuff, we're not going to anticipate God to show up in our everyday. Exactly. And use everything around us. And, and you know, when we wrote this book, it was funny because we had a few people read it. And they're like, oh, I, I was expecting you were going to talk about marketplace evangelism, like how to evangelize people at work. And it's not about that. There's zero about that in the yeah. whole book. Because if you're going to hear God, isn't it so you can start a prayer meeting or so you can like talk to somebody about your faith? And matter of fact, Bob Hassan, who co-wrote this with me, he shares about a young guy who graduates one of the kind of the more known ministry schools. And he comes up to Bob and he goes, he's just graduating and he goes to him and they don't know each other. And he goes, I heard you're a business leader. I'm going to come to your business. I'm going to pray for each one of your staff members and I'm going to help set them in God's appointment for them. Now, Bob runs one of the top commercial painting companies. They painted the the Ram Stadium just now, they're on LAX yeah. or whatever. They're one of the top in the country, if not the world, but for sure on the West Coast. And um, and it, most of his employees aren't saved. Most of his um, you know executives aren't saved. But they, Bob and Lauren have built a culture like no one I know. Like my wife and I go in there, we've met a lot of their employees. And their employees just look at them like you would, like Job, when Job says, my employees look at me with affection in their eyes. You know, they, yeah. they're well paid. They're you know, just they're well taken care of. Like, like Job talked about, like all the things that he did to qualify for the favor of God. And that's Bob Hassan. Like, yeah. it's just, they know Jesus a little bit because of how Bob and Lauren are just in their whole life. Yeah. And so I'm watching this. And so this guy says to Bob, like, let me pray for everybody. And Bob said, if you need a job, maybe I can hire you, but I would never bring you into my culture because you'd be so disruptive. And I have money to make and I have a purpose that God's given me to do. And it's not to just try and like take my team and force the gospel down their throats. Amen. How dare you? And the guy felt like so violated by Bob, like Bob's a demon or like he's, you know, terrible. Right. So he goes and tells his pastor, the pastor comes over to Bob and goes, I'm really sorry. Like he's really <laughs> ambitious. He wants to see, yeah. you know, the marketplace touch, but he thinks it has to happen through a prayer appointment and evangelism because he comes from yeah. one of the prayer, prayer schools where you pray for healing and you prophesy everybody. That's where he comes yeah. from. And so Bob and I really spent some time in this book to say, before it's about doing ministry things, which again, dualism makes you want to do that only. Before yeah. it's about that, are you walking with God in a way where people, you know, it's, we are the salt of the earth. Are you salting the earth? Exactly. Inside of you, enjoying God, enjoying your family, enjoying your marriage, enjoying your business, even though there's a lot of hard things to do. Work is work. Are you seeing God in the work? And people who were reading it were like, going, we really like this. And by the time we got to the end of it, we felt like, kind of ambushed by it because we felt like a lot of people said this, it changed the culture of the way I think about marketplace. Yeah. And yeah. It, it really made me realize, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble with how I used to think. Cause I thought if I'm going to hear from God, it's going to be to do something versus to be with God. Be, be, be. right. Oh, I love that. I love that. I can't wait for people to get to read it and experience kind of that, like Trisha Yearwood in the car moment where you're like, <laughs> you know, I love like that moment. it really did like it changed, you know, and I think about it in terms of, of, I'm really bad with scripture references. I can memorize the words all day. I can never remember where they came from, but you know, in the world, but not of it. I think we get so focused on the not of it that we forget we're in it. And, you know, I had a pastor yeah, that that's would a say, dualism. That's a dualism right. scripture because it means not in the carnality of the world or the evil. Exactly. Of the world. That doesn't mean that that was my dog. That doesn't mean to be um, a part of society because otherwise Jesus wouldn't have gone to the party with the tax collectors. Exactly. That was not in the world when he was going. He did he all kinds of stuff. Everything all was Christian illegal. <laughs> exactly. 
but we, uh, it's like we could obviously i'm about to like launch into a whole nother rant and i'm just not going to because we're running out of time but like yes and i think that as somebody who became a, i became a believer in my early 20s i can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that i did not become a believer because somebody beat me over the head with a bible and told yeah. me how wrong and sinful and bad i was i fell in love with jesus because honestly, because I not I didn't fall in love with a boy. I fall in, fell in love with a group of people who loved Jesus and therefore love loved me like Jesus. And I was like, like, is that not what we want? Do we not want people to look at our lives and think, I want that? How Absolutely. do I get that? You can't do well, that. As somebody <laughs> who's done prophetic evangelism and prayed for people with prophetic intention to hear God's voice for them all over the world. And I, I probably talked to 2000 people or more on the street and loved on them and had really profound moments with them, I would say about 1% get saved through that encounter. Yeah. But they have, they have a, it's a seed. It goes in and exactly. I'm okay with that's that. That's not to say that that's a, a bad thing. The majority of people get saved like you did because a group of people love them well. It's not yeah. because of a one-time power word and or because, a one-time like, power experience or because right. they, and so I think if we understand that, then the way we live our life isn't for those moments of ministry, yes. but it's for that moment of relationship. Well, and it was, they loved me well, but they were also really fun and funny and did things other than study their Bible and like invited me to go paintballing and hiking and kayaking. And I was like, and then when you're doing fun things and enjoyable things with these people, then you get to experience Jesus in them, you know? And so I'm just, yes, in total agreement. Same language. We see. We do. It's totally true. And so we're writing a marketplace book about this. I think my goal and my hope for people is that they, you know, whether they're, when we talk to, we consult people, both Bob and I do, who are, you know, who are billionaires and who are young entrepreneurs. It's their first time and who are venture capitalists and who are people who are doctors and lawyers. Like it's all the spectrum is all the way across the board. I mean, people yeah. who are starting donut shops, these kinds of things. And they all have the same condition, which is in this generation, we have to graduate a mindset that we're hearing God to do something for him. That's a byproduct. We're hearing God because he wants to be known by us. He wants us to know him. And when we get there, then we realize our process is going to be different. How we get to our destination is going to be totally God-led. But it's not just, he's not just trying to lead us into something. He's trying to be with us in the the process. Mm -hmm. I think, I think a lot of people are going to read this and go, oh my gosh, this is a before and after moment for me. Because it was for us writing it. Yeah. Yeah. This has been one of my favorite conversations I've had in a really long time. So I'm sure people can get your book everywhere like everywhere, everywhere you get books yeah, Amazon, um, where Amazon. what are you on social media so people just can at you. sean bowles b-o-l-z and then okay. also our, our ministry is bowlsministries.com mm-hmm. and we have an app and all that kind of stuff. yeah awesome sean thank you so much thanks for inviting me all right that's it for this week thanks for tuning in to another episode of the crappy christian podcast and hey by the way if you super loved it Can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right. See you next week.